I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Jessica Padula. She's the Vice President of Marketing and Interim Vice President of Sustainability at Nespresso USA. Jessica joined Nespresso USA in 2016 as manager of social media. When she joined, she brought a unique combination of experience from luxury, CPG, and food and beverage experience, having worked on brands such as Swarovski, Horizon, Organic, Pantene, CoverGirl, and Downey. In 2018, Jessica was promoted to the role of Director of Brand Communications. And in 2023, she was promoted to Vice President of Marketing at Nespresso USA. On the show today, we talk about her past, how she became VP of Marketing in Espresso, what she thinks about leadership as a relatively new marketing leader. We talk about the next generation and new generations and how that contributes to their growing customer base and obviously how that influences their product innovation and marketing strategy. We talk about their efforts with respect to communities, including the Ali Fournay Center that they've been working with to support homeless LGBTQ I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jessica Padula. Well, Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Excited to have this chat with you, Alan. Yeah, I'm excited as well. I mean, I know we're going to talk about business and coffee and all things that you're doing to drive the company, but I have to say, I have a man crush and I am so excited that I am now one degree from George Clooney. (laughs) Yeah. One step closer to the epitome of it all, right? Yes. Yes. He is like my wife kids at me all the time. She's like, I think you like George better more than I do. And I was like, you're probably right. I'm not surprised to hear that. He is just the epitome of cool and certainly lives up to expectation. I've been lucky enough to meet him in person a few times and He's just as wonderful as you think he is. So that's good news. Yeah. I was literally watching TV last night and saw your commercial, The Bet, where yes. he's at a swanky event. He, they're trying to guess what coffee drink they're going to you know, get or the guest is going to get. And he loses the bet. And then has to ride this little tiny moped home instead of his swanky, like I look like a Jaguar or something like an old Jaguar. It was. It was a vintage Jaguar. Oh my God, it was a beautiful car. I was lucky enough to be on that shoot. 
And um, I have a picture of myself with that car. So I'll I'll send it to you because my dad was like you, like, I got it. I got to get in the car. Yeah. But yeah, George's, he thrives in those moments of humor where he's, he really got to act up. And I think we did that scene with him on the scooter, you know, 10 times just because he was having fun with it, all the facial expressions. (laughs) That's where he really nails it, right? It's entertainment more than it is an advertisement in some ways. So that's fun. We like, we like doing that with him. I love it. I love it. Well, well, let's talk about you. <laughs> where did you get your career start? And you're now the VP of marketing at Nespresso. So how, where did you get your start? And kind of what were the stops along the way? Yeah, it's been a journey. When I graduated college, I went to Boston University, go Terriers. When I graduated, I knew I wanted to get into brand marketing. I always just felt like there was a, a spark there. But it's really hard to get an entry-level role at a brand marketing in a brand marketing role. And so I went into advertising, which to be honest, I'm so glad I did. I spent about five years at Gray, New York, through their creative renaissance in many ways. And it was great training. It was great to see that side of it. Advertising can be super fun, super grueling, but I still had that interest in moving brand side. So while I was at the agency, it was also not to date myself, but the days of trying to sell clients on digital and social and trying to be an agency from the Mad Men era, but that was modern and rethinking things. So I started working on, you know, at the time I was called a digital account manager, which is hilarious now because we're all digital now. Right. So again, that dates me a little bit. But when I decided it was time to get out of the advertising world and move brand side, I knew that, that the way I could worm myself in was really by specializing in something that brand managers typically weren't paying attention to yet. And that was social media. And so I really got my foray moving over to the client side through that specialization. Moved into some food brands. I actually left New York for a little while and moved to Colorado. So what industry is out there? Well, organic food and, and um, had some really interesting opportunities out there, but eventually came back to New York and kind of moved into the luxury space. I worked at Swarovski, the crystal brand, and really focused on amplification of corporate initiatives. So events and sponsorships and things like that. Love doing that. It was super swanky. I got to go to Fashion Week. I got to go to behind the scenes at Madonna's World Tour, things like that, wherever crystals were being placed, right? But uh, had to quickly realize that I missed kind of the CPG, like the, the churn of, of real business driving initiatives. I'm sure parts of Swarovski have that, but the division I was in was more focused on brand reputation. And so when the opportunity came to join Nespresso, I was still specializing in that social and digital landscape. But I've been here now over seven years and have kind of evolved in that time, right? From, from a social and all the related fields, influencer and PR and events into broader comms planning, broader brand management. And then, yeah, in January of this year, I, I took on the VP role, which is an amazing testament, I think, to Nespresso and their ability to see that you know someone who had their sort of lowly start in social media can, <laughs> can kind of work their way up. Love it. I really enjoy your background. I mean, that from digital to social, now you've spent seven years at Nespresso. One, that's kudos because not many people stay stay at the same company anymore. I don't know what it is, but yeah. it seems like two to four years and people start to rotate. But congrats too, in January, becoming the VP. Thank you. Yeah. How do you think about leadership as you know a relatively new marketing leader? Yeah. First of all, I, I love leading people, but I equally love doing the marketing work. And so a lot of my role now, you, kind of the further you go up the chain, the further you get distance from some of the day-to-day work and the things that like created your passion in the first place, right? 
So to me, I've thought a lot about this and I've done some career coaching over the years and leadership to me, it really comes down to empathy. I think that's just an innate part of who I am as a person, but it it comes through in how I personally feel like you can lead successfully. Empathy requires vulnerability. It requires you to say, I'm not the only one here who matters. I'm not the smartest one. I need you on the team, but I also have value to add. And how can we kind of be human beings to work better together? And yeah, I think empathy is connected in many ways to psychological safety, which I know Google has done tons of research around about how safe you feel in your work environment actually makes you better as a worker and more fulfilled. And like, isn't that what we all want? I think the other interesting thing to your point, Alan, about being a new leader is there's, let's be honest, there's always imposter syndrome. And <laughs> empathy can kind of be at odds with imposter syndrome, right? Because you want to be empathetic, but you also need to kind of assert that you're here, you right. are here for a reason and you have value to add, but you need to be, you want to be vulnerable and empathetic. So it's, it's kind of this balance for me at all times of how much do I get in the weeds to do the work because I love it, but let people give them the space to do the work that they need to get done showing them that you trust them and, and care about them as human beings to do their best work, but also knowing that you do have a role to play. It's, it's just this constant juggle, which I think you, you either thrive in or, or you feel overwhelmed by. And, and for me, it's, I'm in the middle, probably. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, in empathy, I was, I was just with a, another leader yesterday and, and they're in the process of making some really tough decisions about employees and things like that. And it's moments like that, I think, the empathy and the leadership characteristics of who you are as as both a person but as a leader start to come through when you're in the moment of making that tough decision, whether it's about employees yeah. or whether it's about the direction of where you're going to take the company. Yeah, it's business is not always in line with what an individual wants or needs, and so yeah, I think empathy allows you to approach that with thought and care and being intentional. But yeah, also understanding that for me, it's never just about the business. It can't possibly be. I might be motivated by achieving my sales goals and all of those things. But at the end of the day, it's it's the people that you connect with and who you meet that really matter, right? We're, I don't know, I can get in a little woo-woo with the psychological <laughs> stuff, but we're all human. Human beings are wired to connect and want that community. So to me, that's where it has to start. No, agree. Agree. Well, talking about Nespresso and as a consumer-oriented company... I have to imagine that new generations are going to be key to kind of growing the customer base yeah, and who you guys serve. How are you thinking about attracting and, and marketing to those new generations? Well, first of all, the biggest thing we've noticed as it relates to coffee consumption and the consumer, as you look, what is their introduction to coffee and what's their coffee drinking preference? It's not at all the same anymore with Gen mm -hmm. Z. And there's a couple of reasons behind that, I think. But as you think about attracting those younger consumers, for a while, we were sort of putting Gen Z a little bit on the back burner and saying, you know what, they're not ready to be buying appliances, really. They don't have their own homes. And this is kind of a higher price point product. So maybe they're not quite there yet. That was maybe a year or two ago. And fundamentally, it's, it's shifted now. We look at them as starting to be graduating from college, maybe starting to get their first apartments. Maybe they're not even going to college, to be honest. Mm. And their coffee drinking consumption is totally different. It's all about iced. It is 100% defined by cold coffee, and it's largely out of home. That's the first experience they as, as individuals have with coffee, whether it's with friends or family, whatever. You know, My first introduction to coffee was my parents making you know, Maxwell House and a big pot of drip <laughs> coffee at home. Like The world of coffee is just completely different for them. And so we have had to say, 
What does that mean for everything through the funnel from product development and innovation, the machines that they might want in their homes, the price points that we're considering. Mm. But the first thing is really the cold coffee. And I actually, we were chatting with our PR agency the other day and you know what they said? I always thought, well, they're just a different generation. They like different things. They have different tastes. But it's funny to think what's driving the interest in cold coffee is it's often served in a clear to-go mug. Mm. And it's, it's selfie worthy, right? It's, it's Instagram worthy. <laughs> they can take pictures of it. It looks way cooler than your black coffee at home on your counter. So I thought that was kind of an interesting insight. I think there's something to that. They may also just be more into flavors and, and things like that. But that kind of is a, a long-winded way of saying there's lots of facets of thinking about where they are in their lives, what would appeal to them. And that's everything from product to, to how we market to them to the types of experiences we're creating. Yeah. When you mentioned Maxwell House, I mean, like I totally remember mm-hmm. growing up, right, with a big vat of yeah. that stuff, and and that was coffee. And then, like, I don't know, I, I don't want to date myself, but I'm not, I'm not young. But it was, you know, at least in my 20s or 30s when when Starbucks came on the scene, and then there was a whole new language. And I yes. can't imagine, like, the I'm gonna sound like a total boomer, but the the kids this, these days, you know, these like kids, they grew up with that generation like that. I'm they sure did. mom and dad were, you know, running to the, their favorite coffee place and getting their drink. But so it's cool. I mean, it's cool that you guys have tapped into this group and that you recognize that ice is really about where you're going. How does the insight around your customer base, like how is that driving your product innovation? And, and can you share, you know, a little bit of like where you're going and, and what you've built off based on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, I'll I'll mention the the machine that we launched this year. And that was really born out of a lot of the insights that we're talking about. It's called the Virtual Pop Machine. And it's got so many facets of it that are really poised to draw in that consumer. And I think we're really, we're ahead of it in some ways in that regard. It's a smaller footprint, our smallest ever. So it's, it's actually, I think about 30% smaller than our previous virtual machines, mm. which means it can fit into city dwellers' apartments. It can fit maybe next to other coffee solutions on your countertop, which we know our consumers often consuming mm. lots of different types of coffee. It's brightly colored. So we've never done you know a mango yellow machine before. <laughs> but that again, Gen Z is all about this like 90s nostalgia, bright colors, neon. And so the color palette is meant to address them. We also brought it down at our lowest price point because it's smaller and because of the way we created it, that it's meant to draw those, those people in, the, that younger consumer in. So that was obviously many years in the making, but we were able to launch it this year. And that, I think, fundamentally sets us on a different foot with Gen Z in, in all the work that we've been doing and how we've tested it and even how we've seen the results in market. I think what you'll see is more focus on how do we deliver the, the best possible coffee experiences now that we kind of have the machine, right? That's our workhorse. We get in the door with that with acquisition. And then we have to make sure that the coffee experiences pay that off. One of the fun things about the machine is it actually has a, a double tap mode that we're starting to educate people on that actually brews the coffee a little bit more concentrated than the way it would normally mm. clicked once. And that's actually meant to work over ice or with milk, where you're going to potentially, you know, quote unquote, water the coffee down. Right. This mode is like, again, another piece of innovation that's just in the hardware or software of the machine that, that allows you to do something totally new with the coffees you already love. So that's on the product side. And then we can talk more about the events and sort of in real life world, because yeah, I'm sure everybody's talking about it. But in a post-COVID world, I think Gen Z in particular 
And even to go back to our conversation around community and connection as human beings, they want to get back in person. They don't just want to do it just to go to the coffee shop and, and buy a beverage, right? They want to go and experience something new and different and have this richness added to their lives through brands and partnerships and things like that. So we've tapped into that too. We did an amazing pop-up over the summer that I can tell you more about where we, we took over the Santa Monica Ferris wheel, the iconic Ferris wheel mm. on the beach. And we took the gondolas and we turned them into little iced coffee cafes. And that's, again, <laughs> a perfect expression of the machine coming together with the coffee, coming together with this experience that's all really meant to address who Gen Z is, what they want, and, and how Nespresso can uniquely offer them something versus, yeah, just being overly promotional or overly product-focused. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, you talked about like this notion of communities and seeking connection. Like, How do communities play a role in your efforts, if you will. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about the human element of it, right? But from a category standpoint, you think about coffee and there are some key emotional territories that we know coffee plays in people's lives. And it's one of the reasons why I've stayed at Nespresso so long is because I really feel like you, you get to connect instead of just sell things at Nespresso. And that's because fundamentally coffee plays this really important role. I think in people's lives generally, but certainly with our target, it's much more than just that functional wake you up, get going in the morning. There's always some of that, let's be honest. But coffee actually does serve as this connection point between people. That's why coffee shops, you, know, you mentioned Starbucks earlier, that's why they exist. They're this like third meeting place for this third part of our lives that, as, as Starbucks says, and it's because coffee allows that connection and that community. And so that's one piece of the puzzle we have to think about even though we're an at-home solution, how can the brand tap mm -hmm. into that emotional territory of connection? If you may actually be drinking your Nespresso primarily in-home by yourself, what right. can the brand kind of do to surround that singular experience with community? And that's where some of our boutiques and some of our social impact work come into play. We have boutiques in about 37 different cities in the US and they serve as these little community hubs. The people who go there a lot of the shoppers come back regularly and they're talking to an Nespresso employee every single week or every other week and they, we know their names. And I think there's that really unique one-to-one -one in person connection, especially with a D2C brand that, that drives that connection in that community. But then as you think about how do you scale that up, right? That's on a very one-to-one -one basis. The other piece is, again, going back to Gen Z, we know that their definition of sustainability has fundamentally changed to include this idea of social justice and social impact. 
And that's all about me and my community and who's a part of my community and how inclusive are we. And so we've leaned into that space as well, both because it's part of what's innately true about coffee and the coffee category, as I mentioned, but also because we know our consumers kind of expect this out of brands that they choose to bring into their lives. And we've done a lot of work around social impact in our local communities. An example I'll give you is in our headquarters are in New York for the US and we started a partnership several years ago with the Ali Fournay Center. Mm. And if you're not familiar, they are the nation's largest homeless youth shelter for LGBTQ youth who you know, have been kicked out of their, their family homes or not accepted. And it's an amazing center and it's an amazing cause that our employees actually told us they really wanted to engage with. And so how do you bring that back to coffee, right? It kind of feels right. a little further afield. But if you think about it, we connected it through an artist who took that story about the Ali Fournay Center, connected mm. it through art on a coffee mug that we then sold as a way to not just raise awareness for the charity, but actually give money back mm. and make sure there's this connection between the thing I'm drinking every day is part of something bigger than just me or my individual moment. And so there's a lot of pieces of community in the way we think about that, but it's everything from like how we show up in a boutique to these bigger initiatives with the Ali Fournay Center and, and other charities. I love that example too, and in particular because like as you think about it, I mean, not only you're raising money for the cause and, and you're highlighting an interesting artist as well in the mix, but it's also a daily reminder as you use the mug, right? Exactly. It's a reinforcement of the mission of the organization and, and the connection to to what you love, which is coffee. Exactly. If you can make that moment that much more of like a ritual and a reminder of the choices that you make mm-hmm. and the care that goes into, you know, the thing I didn't mention is that all of that local impact work is really referencing a global brand purpose. And a lot of the work we do on the farms with farmers to make sure we protect the future of quality coffee to ensure it's, you know, in your cup at the end of the day, but also to be fair to those artisans, right? mm. those artists that are crafting our coffee for us, we want to be caring and thoughtful and supportive of them the same way we want to be in our local communities. And so there's this through line to, okay, this brand, I see that it matters for me and my community and I can understand or maybe extrapolate a little bit that that's just like you were saying, a core part of the vision and the, the role that the brand feels like it can play in the world at large. Yeah, well... I am very impressed with Nespresso business. It's a great product. A friend of mine, older friend of mine, used to get completely jacked up on espresso <laughs> shots from his Nespresso <laughs> machine. Yeah, it can be a slippery slope. <laughs> it can be. I just remember him like we would be doing a Zoom call many years ago and he'd be like, hold on. And I'd be like, you're going to go get an espresso, aren't you? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> like, this is your second one during our one hour call. Come right. on, man. Like, right. Anyway. Well, it's good. It only takes about, you know, a minute and a half to brew one. Exactly. And he was always back pretty quick. Yeah, it never really interrupts you. <laughs> it's funny you say that because we had a couple of years with COVID break, but all of our conference rooms in our office obviously have machines. <laughs> and it is a natural part of a meeting for someone to do exactly what you just described. But when I first started at Nespresso, I remember my boss at the time saying, um, yeah, my doctor told me I probably should scale back because you go from meeting, you know, you have seven meetings in a day yeah, and you have right. one. It's just part of the culture. You have one every single meeting. All of a sudden you're at like 10 coffees in a day. It's really dangerous. I so I try to limit myself to two or three. That's my goal. <laughs> I love it. Well, one of the things I love to do on the show is to get to know you a little bit better. We know you are now my one degree connection to yes, George Clooney. I got you, Alan. <laughs> 
But I love asking this question of everyone that comes on. Has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Oh, well, so many. But one that that is maybe a little a little silly, but I think it's fun to share is when I was about 10 or 11 years old, my family relocated from where I was born in Huntsville, Alabama, if you can believe it, to outside of DC. And my dad worked for NASA. People always ask me like, what's that connection? It's a really random one. But that was the reason for the move. And it's funny now to think back, but before we moved, I was paralyzingly shy. Like the stories my parents and even my extended family will tell is I wouldn't even go up to order my own fast food, you know, at McDonald's. I really, I didn't like answering the telephone. I mean, at 10, but like, I really was very, very shy. And after moving, I think that there's always this conundrum when you take kids and, and shake up their life like that. I'm sure my parents grappled with it, but it was one of the best things for me because I almost had to get out of my comfort zone. I had to meet new friends. I, I had to just open myself up to a, a bigger and different world. And to the point where then I went, when I went to college, I actually chose a college, I mentioned BU before, where group presentations and live presenting in front of a 30 or 50 person room was a core part of the curriculum. I did that almost every week for four years. And I never, A, never would have been able to do that, I think, without the move in there. But B, I think it's really defined kind of who I am and what my my special sauce is as a leader to the point where I'll give a shout out. One of my very first ECDs when I was working at Gray, his name is Thomas Puckett. If you're listening, Thomas, thank you for this. One of my first presentations, I was maybe a year out of college, I had to do a presentation in front of a big room. He came up to me later and he was much more senior and, and very experienced. And he looked at me and he goes, how do you do that? How do you, do you have tips? You're so good at presenting. And I was, I think that was that first aha moment where you look, you can reflect and say, oh, all of this has been leading me here. And this is something that, yeah, it started with that move, but then it, it's turned into this thing where I'm comfortable speaking in a way I never really envisioned. Love that. I love that. You'll have to thank mom and dad for sure. After yeah. That. Yeah. Like I said, they, I know they grappled with it. They probably yeah. felt bad moving, but they also, mm-hmm. you know, we lived in Huntsville, Alabama and no shame on the South. I love the South. I was born there, but my parents are from New England. So I think when uh, they were there raising yeah. three kids, they were like, oh, the world here, they got to be opened up to the world at large. And we did it. Yeah. No, that's funny. That's funny. Well, I, well what advice would you give your younger self if you're starting this journey all over again? I'll give you one of my mantras which is every yes is a no to something else. And I love this because it's about boundaries. It's about being intentional with the choices you make. I think it really, for me, sums up my ideal state of being in a way. I can't say I always achieve it, but I think it can apply to so many facets of life. It can be making decisions about, again, where to go to college, who to marry, when to have kids, if that's what you want. It can apply to work. It can apply to how you juggle. For me, balancing being a working mom and saying yes to opportunities that fall outside of the workday. And I think if you can remember that and feel the power in that statement, which is it's you at any level of the organization, you have the ability to, in in some regards, meet expectations or not meet expectations, but choose your yes versus your no's. But you can't say yes to everything. (laughs) I I really love that statement. Every yes is a no to something else. That's beautiful. Well, is there a topic you think marketers need to be learning more about? Or maybe it's something you're trying to learn more about yourself? Oh, yes. Data analytics and visualization. I think increasingly marketing is becoming so data-driven because of the realities of the digital landscape. 
we used to not be able to measure anything really, right? When you ran TV, you maybe had your set-top box Nielsen data, but that was it. Now you can measure almost every piece of creative before it ever goes into market, know how it's going to perform, see how it performs in market. And I think the curriculums of marketing have not, in my experience, even adapted yet to how much of marketing is data-driven. And I talk all the time to my head of data and, and insights about this. Like, you guys know how to not only analyze, I never will know how to analyze the data the way that they do. Right. But how do I translate the story, ask the right questions, and then turn it into a story that really validates and showcases the role that marketing can play within a business and an organization? And so we've been talking a lot about how we build that capability up internally, leverage the expertise within analysts the way that you need to, but also marketing people have to speak almost a new language that they weren't necessarily trained on. I heard recently that some of the deans of like the biggest MBA programs are actually having regular meetings and conversations, rethinking Six Sigma and like mm. thinking like, what's the new version? Because that doesn't really work in the real world anymore. And so I, th- yeah. I think it's all connected to just how much the industry has changed and how fast the pace is. Yeah, yeah, no, I, ag- I agree. It's to your point, I think the way you described it, which is weaving the story that comes from the data and the insight that you're able to mm. glean. It's it's a it's a almost in some ways and in some organizations it's a unicorn skill like it's yes. not enough people have it and so we're forced to kind of like sit through yeah. gobs and gobs of data going well okay well what so what's the so what like what do I need to focus bottom on? line on top blot right. as I used to be taught yeah. right but <laughs> yes. but if you you're just so inundated with so much data from so many different mm. sources and I I used to joke like. With that much data, you can kind of make it say whatever you want it to say. <laughs> yes. Mm, maybe that's a stretch, but then how do you crystallize that story? Yeah, it's not entirely a stretch. My, <laughs> one of my stats professors... I'm from, glad you say that. From graduate school, would used to say, his favorite saying was, statistics is lying with numbers. <laughs> and I was like, you're a stats professor. Like, aren't I you really like undermining... that, actually. Yes. But I mean, we got more, you know, unpack that. And it's like, you have to make sure you're accurately portraying mm-hmm. the data. Otherwise, you could be susceptible to lie. A hundred percent. And that's why we actually created like a neutral data and insights team within our organization. So it's not, I'm not a sales analyst. I'm not a marketing analyst. Mm-hmm. I'm just a business analyst. And, and it's for that exact reason to have faithfulness in the data and what yeah. it's telling you. It. Well, <laughs> that's um, funny. <laughs> well, are there any trends or subcultures that you follow or you think other people should take notice of? Oh, I'm trying. I'm trying to get into, maybe not personally, but gaming, which is such a funny one because it is, it's kind of like this subculture that personally I have stereotypes about. I'm sure lots of people do. And it's the face of gaming is not, I think, what we, Mm -mm. what we once thought it was. It's, it's just develop the people who tell me they're gamers. It every time I'm like, Oh, really? Wow. I never expected that. And so we're trying as Nespresso in general, but myself in particular to kind of break some of that down and understand what is this subculture? Is there something here you can imagine from a coffee standpoint? They over ind- gamers over index on caffeine or, oh, yeah. or energy drinks. And so that's not normally a place that I would think we would go play because again, certain stereotypes and what it once was. Hmm. But it's such a growing space that we're trying to trying to figure out how we might authentically show up there as a brand. So that's an interesting one. Yeah. Well, I've got kind of a funny story. I was with my daughter. This is probably like four years ago she was so she was young like 12 13 at that time maybe we were in new york traveling just vacationing and um we were walking down the street and 
there was just this couple in front of us and just looked like an everyday couple. And she started twitching and like <laughs> giggling. And, and I was like, what is going on? Like, are you listening? Like, there's no earbuds in her ears or right. anything like that. Like, what is going on? And she was like, dad, shh, shh. And I was like, what? And so finally this couple like turns the corner and we keep going straight. And I was like, what was that all about? She was like, that's the gamer, the girl gamer that I watch on YouTube all the time. And I was like, why didn't you say something? We could have introduced you. Like, we could have said something. And she's like, no, 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 no. You've got to play it cool. Yeah, Yeah, especially in New York. (laughs) And then the next day, because she had just gotten a sweat, this gamer has swag. And so, like, for a birthday, we had gotten her a sweatshirt. So the next day, of course, she's wearing the sweatshirt, Uh hoping to run into the gamer. Again, again. maybe we'll turn the right corner in New York again. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. See, yeah, that's so fascinating. Like, first of all, I mean, gaming to me was like the N64 console that you had right, to blow on exactly. to make it work. Yeah. It wasn't this like celebrity, almost influencer culture. So there, there's some space there that I think, again, it's easy to say, oh, that's not for us because gaming, ugh, what does that have to do with coffee? But actually, it could be fascinating. So we'll <laughs> see. We'll, we'll see. Who knows? All right. Well, last question for you. What do you think is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? Well, we touched on it a little bit before, but this connected to the data piece, this fragmentation of marketing, it's, I personally feel like it's harder and harder to do our job as marketers because marketing now has so many channels, so many touch points, and it's almost impossible to be, you know, expert of a few and master of none is sort of (laughs) the sense right now. I attended a conference earlier in the year where they said they analyzed a, a, thousands of marketers nationwide or something like that. And the NPS score, if you were to do that, of marketing as a function is like negative two. And it just goes to show you that like, if there's discontent within the discipline, is it the environment? Is it, the again, the proliferation of channels? And so you don't feel like you're able to master it. And I think that also just makes the storytelling harder as it relates to the data piece. We want marketing to be valuable to the organization, but then how do you show the value that it's adding when it's only becoming more and more complex to even understand the fragmentation of marketing. So I think there's a huge opportunity there if you can learn how to visualize the data, tell the story and convince your CFO. But it is, I think it's getting harder and harder in that way. Yeah, oh, I totally agree with you. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a joy. My pleasure. Let's stay in touch and and hear what Nespresso does next. Absolutely. There's more to come for sure. It's going to be a big year in 2024. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with post-production support from Sam Robertson. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com. Tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love hearing from listeners. You can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes and links to what was discussed in the episode today. And you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.